Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you again that you are a God who speaks. You're a God who promises to rebuke, correct, admonish, uh, exhort us to love and good deeds so that we will be fully equipped to be men and women of God. So, Lord, as we open your word today, we pray that you would really cause us to listen, to heed, to hear and to be changed. Lord, that you would come now and speak instead of me. And that again, Lord, we would leave here today worshipping you with joy and desiring to make known your gospel and your goodness to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Chapel Street. And to you online and those listening on the podcast later on, it's good to be here again. As has been said several times, we're overtaking Craig up north. We're in chapter eight. If you count um, Luke by chapters, we're officially a third of the way through, although some chapters are more long than others. And here we are, straight back into Jesus, straight back into his teaching, straight back into the wow and the now and the how. And uh, he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. So I came to preach it, to demonstrate it, to be it, and to live for God's glory, his father's glory. And we come now to the parable of the sower. It's really the parable of the sower and the seed, but it's called the parable of the sower. It's there in Luke, of course. It's there in Matthew and Mark. They're very, very similar readings of them all. And you'll note from what Dave was reading that Jesus gives the parable to the multitude. And a parable is not the open picture of truth. It's, it's an element of truth that drives us to think and understand the picture that is deeper, the profound truth that's there. But he opens that part up only to the disciples, explains the parable that he's just told to the multitude, just to the disciples. And in it, in the context of this, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But then he explains it just to the disciples. And I've got a question for us just to rhetorically think about as you start to listen to this word. Which group are you in? Are you the multitude that are just going to hear the parable? Or are you the disciples of Christ? That are going to hear the explanation because you have both of them right in front of you. So please hear and heed the explanation because it's here for you today, too. Sometimes when you hear messages on this passage, they kind of become very moralistic, sort of simplistic ways of living. But I actually think, whilst that's there, this is a really scary piece of scripture. This parable should terrify us because it concerns real faith. It asks the question, am I really a Christian? It asks the question, am I really growing? It concerns faith, salvation, and growth. It's a question I dare say you've asked yourselves perhaps many times. Perhaps you're asking yourself now, am I really a Christian? 
It's an important question. And I think the Bible brings assurance. But we've got to read it. We've got to know it to know whether or not we really are a Christian. And one book to read on that, and Dave's quoted from Hebrews already, about the assurance is Hebrews. Read Hebrews. It's full of warnings. It's a terrifying book. Faith is everything in Christ. But faith outside of Christ is nothing. It is pointless, it is fruitless, and it is death. It's tricky, isn't it? We don't want to go around judging other people. So-and-so doesn't really believe in Christ. But we do want to examine our lives and question whether there is fruit. Question whether my faith is genuine, whether there is growth. So don't sit here this morning and make the assumption that you're a Christian just because you're here and just because you know scripture. It might not be true. Peter tells us elsewhere, make your calling an election sure. Paul says that we have to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Make no assumptions about things. It's a serious business. So if you have ears to hear, listen, please, listen this morning. It's about hearing the word and responding. Let this message not fall on deaf ears, on dead ears. Well, let's just consider this picture, the parable of the sower and the seed. There's a sower. Sowing seed, he's casting seed out into the field. And the seed, we're told, is the word of God. Some people argue that that's just the full Bible. And some people argue that it's the gospel. And what I want to say is the full Bible points to the glory, the now, the wow of Christ. And that is the gospel. Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And here's a reference to that good news. Matthew literally says the seed is the word of the kingdom. And so as this sower scatters, casts the seed, you want to just visualize. We don't have big tractors and everything in the ancient world. He literally had a, a bag, a seed that was thrown as he walked through the field. You can picture it, can't you? Casting a big swathe of seed. And some of it falls on the path. It's trampled underfoot. And some of it falls on the rocks and has no moisture to cause it to grow and some of it falls into the thorns and it's choked up and cannot grow but some of it of course falls into the good soil it's a picture that you can think of and identify with and of course back then it was even easier to identify with more people lived off the land than we have today but I want you to think this morning about the place where the seed falls in terms of our hearts. Yes, there's a predicament. There's the soil. There's the path, the rocks and the thorns. There's a place, a context where that seed falls. But it's really a picture of our hearts, what our hearts are like in that context. The place where it falls depends utterly on God, doesn't it? He's sovereign. We go around saying that all the time. It depends on him. But how we respond, although provoked and encouraged and exhorted 
by the very word and by the spirit, also we have a responsibility there. And that's why the state of the human heart is so important. So let's delve into it carefully. We'll go through the explanation and see if we can, we can pick out some more things for ourselves. So verse 10, Jesus starts to explain the parable to the disciples and accordingly to us. Verse 10, chapter 8, the Lord says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. But then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. That's the first one, the path. It's trodden in by the foot, cannot grow. One wonders, don't we, that Satan takes away this word so that people would not believe and be saved. How does he do it? Well, firstly, I want to say we can't blame Satan, <laughs> but he's up to something, isn't he? He hates God. And coincidentally, although it isn't a coincidence, he hates you. He hates me. And the seed, the word of God, is the truth. One of Satan's greatest pieces of ammunition to us, to the world, is lies. The Bible tells us that he's the father of lies. Go back to Genesis in the garden where everything was good and perfect. How did temptation come into the cosmos? Through lies. God did not really say that. He just knew that when you ate from that tree, you'd be like him. You'd know the knowledge of good and evil. It's a lie. Stands against truth. What lies does he say today? There's no God. That's probably one of the commonest. There's no God. There's no devil. That's one that he's pretty keen to get out there. There's just this. There's evolution. Immorality is okay. Sin doesn't matter to God. The word is sown. It's calling us to repentance, isn't it? Is that what the gospel's doing? Come to Christ. Come to... There is a God. We've heard it this morning in communion, being reminded very powerfully. Satan says, you know what? It doesn't really matter how you live. God's God. He's love. He's good. He loves you. He'll forgive you. It doesn't matter. It's a lie. It's a lie. That's how the seed is taken away. Well, the gospel is a no need to me then if God can just forgive me. That's how the seed is plucked away. He also lies in a converse way. The funny sort of way he says, actually, this stuff's true. And you're too sinful. <laughs> You'll never get saved. You're rotten. You'll never, ever attain the level of holiness and goodness that you need to be forgiven by God. What do Satan's lies do? Think about how a lie works. It perverts the truth. It hides the truth. It obscures the truth. You believe in a lie means you don't see the truth. 
believe in the truth means you see the lie, right? This is exactly what the word of God tells us about Satan. Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 says, even if our gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, the God of this age, Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing something. Satan's lies blind people to keep them from seeing something. And Paul tells us what it is. He says it's the light of the gospel. It's the light of the seed that's sown, which is, he says, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And Satan lies about that. He obscures that. If you're heavily involved in any evangelism, but I've been involved in bits from time to time, and I've seen that happen. I've seen the word of God spread abroad, cast out into the field. And I've seen people hear the lie that's not in it and ignore the truth. But I've also seen people respond to that seed, that truth that is the gospel. So Satan takes away the seed, just like a bird takes away the seed from the ground. He removes the word of truth, lies about the truth. Let me ask you then, what is the antidote to that lie? <laughs> well, it's no secret, no, not hard to guess. The antidote to a lie is simply the truth. And I will tell you today, and hopefully tomorrow and the next day, that you need that truth every single day. Satan is ready to pounce at any moment with lies. He's crouching at the waterhole ready when you come to feed. So you need the gospel to subvert the lie and remind yourself you are forgiven in Christ. His blood is enough for you. There is a God. Sin really matters. So stay near the truth. Consume the truth. Catch the seed of the truth as it's spoken today and in your life and as you read the word. Let's consider the seed that falls on the rock. Verse 13. And the ones that succeed on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. The first thing I want us to note there is that these people receive the word with joy. It's good news, isn't it? It's good news about your sinful state. And God's beauty and his holiness and his majesty. Wouldn't you receive that with joy? And there's a level of belief. And I don't understand exactly how that works. It doesn't seem to fruit. But they receive it with joy. I'm saved. Amen. It's good news. But then testing comes. And they fall away. And what does this say about their faith? When hardship comes, they fall away. They move away from God. The faith isn't real. It's weak. Perhaps it's focused on the wrong thing. You know, it's possible as a Christian to know all the theology, to know all of the Bible, and yet be focused on the wrong thing. You see, this thing that we're meant to be focused on is Christ. The light of the gospel. It's the glory of God. 
It's so easy to come and hear this great news and say, wow, you did this for me. You saved me. Does it sound like it's all about God or does it sound like it's all about me? It's really that you're saved so that you can know him, that you can enjoy him, that you can live for him. Christianity is often kind of sold today as that thing that we need because it is about us. It fulfills us. The best way to test that is through testing, through hardship, through suffering. We heard about the church at Myanmar this morning and many others that have been persecuted because they have faith. (laughs) Suffer for the sake of the gospel. They say, you know, God is still sovereign, even though I'm in this persecution. Listen to First Peter, verse one, sorry, chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power have been guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What do you say when you hear that? Amen. You receive that message with joy, don't you? Isn't that good? It's good news. That's the gospel, right? It's good news. Then Peter says this. In this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that, listen to this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, the reason for this testing and this trial is to demonstrate to me and to you whether or not I believe in Christ. Those Christians in Myanmar and other places, and us here, I I hope, will persevere in suffering, will not be like those seeds that land on the rock that fall away or the rock that falls away where is my heart what do i believe in what do i believe it's for is it for me or is it for christ is my hardship going to result in the praise and the glory and the honor the revealing of jesus christ i don't know if you know people that have suffered terrible things and have fallen away it seems to be the thing that proves your faith doesn't it I will still trust in God. I know I can think of people right now that continue to trust in God in spite of the struggle and the persecution and the suffering that they experience. But I also know people that the moment suffering came along, turned away from God. Why would God do that to me? Well, it says here, why? He wants to test your faith. He wants you to know whether your faith is real. Is your faith weak? Perhaps if you have no understanding of God more than the gospel, you will struggle when trials come. 
But if you have that understanding that this is for his glory, then perhaps you will persevere in Christ. We have an example of that in Jesus himself, don't we? The joy set before him, the Bible says, it's Hebrews again, endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. It was through suffering, Hebrews tells us, that Jesus was perfected. His metal, his truth, his trust in his Father was proved by the way he continued and endured in suffering. And then there's the thorns. Back to Luke 8, verse 14. The seed that falls on the, in the thorns. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The fruit literally, or the seed literally doesn't grow to produce fruit because they're stifled. They're caught up in something. And the thing that they're caught up in is literally the world. The pleasures of life, the riches, the cares of life, the things that seem to matter most in the world. The seed doesn't grow. It doesn't bear fruit. It doesn't mature. The world looks attractive, doesn't it? That's because Satan makes it look attractive. There are elements of the world that declare the glory of God, right? The stars, the picture of creation, the picture of God's holiness that's in the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature. You can see those things. But then the lies in there as well. You will enjoy this. This is what God wants you to have. It's very easy to love the world. It's very easy. You don't have to try. It's quite hard to love God in contrast without his word, without his spirit working in us. You won't love him. So many lies. Think of Romans 12, where Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Don't be like the world. Don't be in the world. Don't be soaked up by the world. Don't live in the thorns, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How's your mind going to get renewed? Well, it's not going to get renewed without truth in it. It's not going to get renewed without the word of God in it. So if we want to put our root down, we want to dig deep on the rock or in the thorns, then we need the word of God. We need that seed. We need the truth of the gospel working in us all the time. Listen, it's a tricky thing to say, but I'm going to say it. The sinner's prayer of repentance seemed to get really big in the 1950s, post-Second World War, 60s, 70s, 80s. It's still going. The idea that if you just pray a particular prayer that asks for forgiveness, that even declares your own helpless state before God, then you will be saved. And sure, that's how we come to God, isn't it? But the idea is that you pray that prayer and then you carry on living any way you like. I've met people that live any way they like. I was one of them. And said, it's okay, I prayed the prayer. <laughs> I'm saved. Really? <laughs> That's terrifying. You'll be holy as I am holy. No, 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 I'm going to carry on the way I am. It doesn't matter. I'm secure. I'm safe. I read scripture. I prayed that prayer. It's all good. That is a terrible lie. 
Your faith today is what matters, not 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Today is the day of salvation. Your faith tomorrow, depending on the grace that God gives you just to get through today and trusting him and trusting in the power in the cross that is Christ Jesus is what saves you. Not saying a prayer in the past. There are, to quote Paul Washer, hell is full of people that prayed that prayer. I find that terrifying. Are you bearing fruit? What's your heart like before God? Which are you? Well, let's come then to the good soil. Verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So the same as everyone else, they hear the word, same word. They don't get a different word. It's the same message, the same gospel, never changes. They hold it fast. What do you think that means? It's a beautiful old expression to hold fast. Well, have you ever been on a, a yacht in a storm? You'll learn very quick what it means to hold fast. Literally to hang on. And here we're to hang on to what? The promises of God, the truth, the efficacy, the, 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 the reality, the working out reality of the cross to the Bible. Hold fast to the promises of God, not the world, not the lies. Believe God. And it says in an honest and good heart. I like that. In an honest and good heart. Again, if you think back to that prayer that you can pray and save your, say you're saved, you can even do that honestly and earnestly. The heart's very deceitful, desperately wicked, the Bible tells us. But here, an honest and good heart, again, it's about that heart condition, isn't it? Is one that knows who he or she really is before who he really is. I deserve damnation. I deserve hell. Do you really believe that? Do you? Do you really believe that you're a sinner? Do you really believe that you deserve judgment? An honest and good heart, when the seed of the gospel is scattered, does. Does. I'm a sinner, now a saint. How ought I to walk then? That's an honest and a good heart. And the result of this soil, this good soil, the result is that the kernel of the seed dies and grows and it bears much fruit. Well, what are the, the good fruits then? Well, it's the works of holiness. It's the works for the glory of God, maturing in faith, in hope, in perseverance. That, that passage I quoted from Timothy earlier is about being found to be mature in Christ. Not hanging out on the rock or in the thorns. Certainly not on the path. As you notice as well, though, it's got that little phrase at the end, the Lord adds, with patience with patience. There's only one way to learn patience. 
and that's being put in a place where you need patience, <laughs> right? If you're in a place where you need no patience, you're not going to learn it. God knows exactly when to, to bring the pressure on, to put us in that situation where we need to trust him and to be patient, to be long-suffering, to endure. Now, these people in the good soil, they're going to have trials. We learned that from Peter. They're going to have trials. They are. You might try and avoid all trials that come your way, but they're going to test the genuineness of your faith. If that's the case, bring them on, because I want to know that I'm a Christian. Do you? Do you want to know you're a Christian? Say yes. I hope you do. Hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the seed that's sown. Sow it into other people's lives. That's how you became a Christian. Someone else sowed it into your life. Isn't that a good reason for coming to church? Going to a Bible study, going to a prayer night, meeting up in discipleship groups, one-to-one. -one. one person has said, it's really important to read the Bible into your life, but it's also important to read your life into the Bible. So not just stand there and say, wow, I'm saved, but to say, I don't deserve, I don't deserve. I read this word, it tells me I'm condemned. But his Christ came apart from the law and saved me. He's just, God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Read the Bible into your life, but read your life into the Bible. Bear fruit. You can sound like a Christian, folks. You can learn all the kind of buzzwords and the catchphrases and the great bits of scripture to quote. You can learn swathes of scripture. You can go to your Bible studies and come to church. You can stand here where I am. You can lead communion. You can be involved in any way you like. That's not what makes you a Christian. You can fake that. Your heart is deceitful. Satan is lying. The Lord says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, we say that every day, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, here it is. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. You knew all the buzzwords, you prayed your prayer, you went to the Bible study, but I didn't know you. It wasn't good soil. Well, I just want to sum up by way of encouragement to us. Just a little picture of what good soil looks like. I want us to turn, if you, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Second Peter I'm just going to read a, a little chunk out of chapter 1. Second Peter, chapter 1. And we'll read together, or I'll read for us from verse 3. Referring to God, Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Wow. We have everything we need for life and for godliness. Salvation and sanctification, that's what, what he's saying there. 
How do we get it, Peter? Well, he says, well, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. What is that knowledge? It's a gospel by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Amen? And Peter says this, I'm going to paraphrase for a second. Because of all those things, because you've been given everything for life and godliness, through the word, and you have salvation. Verse 5, for this reason, because of those things, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. The seed's been sown. You've received it. You've got everything that you need for salvation, for, for godliness, for life and godliness. So are you adding these things? Because that sounds like fruit to me. Does it sound like fruit to you? Then Peter goes on, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours, and listen, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's astounding. You get on the right journey, if you like, by being saved from a knowledge of Jesus Christ, from the gospel. You then add to these truths your walk. You walk in this particular way. And if you do these things and they're increasing, guess what? You get an effective, fruitful knowledge of the lord jesus christ you get more of the lord jesus christ faith needs action read james faith without action faith without deeds is dead and there's a little warning here in verse 9 whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins having forgotten the gospel having forgotten the seed that was sown that's the problem with that prayer Oh, I was saved. I prayed that prayer 10 years ago or more. Are you going to forget those things? Are you, I mean, you need that every day. That's what you've been given for life and godliness. Are you growing from that? Therefore, verse 10, brothers, be all the more diligent. Here it is to confirm your calling and your election. You know what that means? It means make sure your tested genuineness through the trials shows you that you have faith. Make sure you're a real Christian. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You will never be like the seed on the rock. You'll never be like the seed that's being trampled underfoot on the path. You'll never be like the seed that's being choked by the thorns. If you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And this parable should wake us up. It's a deadly parable. If you're here and you don't know Christ really, I never knew you, right? If you don't know him, 
then repent. Here's the seed. Will you permit me for a moment? Will you? Just to cast the seed again. We've been reminded again this morning in communion. Died. He really died for you, for your sin. He took the penalty of your sins. He sat under the law, which was holy, demonstrated the beautiful, holy, righteous character of God and said, punish me, judge me. Don't judge Sam, judge me. Judge me instead of him so that he will get my righteousness. And the result, he died. He gave up his life because the wages of sin is death. Christ never sinned, but he took my sin. He was in the grave. On the third day, he was alive. That's the seed. That's the hope. Do you receive it with joy? I do. I hear it every day. I, I get excited about it. You should. You should really get excited about it. What's your heart like? Did you hear the word and Satan lied to you and took it away? Did you hear the word and fall away when things got tough? Do you think you were saved and it was all okay? You could carry on sinning and loving the world? And what are you going to say to the Lord on the last day? Lord, Lord, do you know him? Is there fruit? Is there growth? Listen, I'm passionate about this because I want you to challenge me. I'm terrified. What if there's no fruit or growth in my life? Are you going to point it out? I hope you are. Do it gently, but be honest. In order for that seed to grow, the Lord says this elsewhere in the departing discourse in John, I think, that the seed has to die. We don't want to mix our metaphors up too much here. It's not what the Lord's talking about in this parable, but you have to die in order to grow. You have to die to self. You cannot live to Christ and live to self. I know it's a battle. I know it's a struggle, but we're saints. We have to live by that. We have to live like saints. We have to be saints. Christ makes us that way, but we have to walk in that way. Die to self. Live for Christ. Live for his glory. Let Christ do this work in you. You can't do it on your own. In a moment, we're going to sing a song that has the stanza, To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but Christ in me. Not I, Christ in me. Let me just appeal to you in closing to be good soil to be good soil, to check whether you're on the rock, to check whether you're in the world, you're in the path, repent, come to Christ. Don't be ashamed of that. Come to Christ, know him, love him, know him, so that he can say, I know you, I know you, Sam. You're weak, you're feeble, you're imperfect, but you're a saint, you're covered by my blood. You've got my righteousness, I know you. Keep the word in your life, devour it, learn it. We don't seem to memorize scripture anymore. Meditate on it. Don't just read it. I spoke to a guy some years ago who didn't read the Bible and went to church. I said, why don't you read the Bible? He said, I've read it once. I said, look, I challenge you to read it every day. Saw him next week. He said, I've done the first four books of the Bible. 
That's great, but it's not great. Meditate on the word. Let it, let it do something to you. It's truth. It's going to do something to you. Take your time. It's good to go through Luke slowly as well as the speed that we're going at. Become good soil. Is there selfish ambition in your heart? Is there pride? Is there malice? That's what the Lord says. Get rid of it. Become good soil. Get off the path. Stay away from the thorns. Get off the rock. Be good soil. As for that in the good soil, they are those on whom hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much that your word says that your word never goes forth and returns void on the basis of your sovereign will. And so, Lord, as we've heard your word today, I pray that you have, in every sense, alarmed us, Lord, to check where we're at. I pray, Lord, that you have given us a little shake to consider whether we are growing in Christ. I pray, Lord, that your word, your spirit, all these promises and truths that tell us of your glory would be the very thing that spur us on to love and good deeds, to grow, to live for your glory, your honor and praise at the revealing of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.